0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on
1: Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up another week. Appreciate you joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope it'll be a good day for you. We'll be talking with Steve Meyer, Kearns & Associates Economists today will take a look at the pork packing plant situation and some outlook on the hog market. Martin Barbary, the administrator for the Risk Management Agency, will join us. We'll talk about improvements for the Prevent Plant insurance coverage and some of the things they are working on and planning on doing to make some changes with Prevent Plant. And we'll get a crop update from Illinois today. David Erickson farms near the Quad Cities. He'll be joining us Today with a report from his farm, his area, how things are looking there. But let's start things off talking some weather today with Dennis Toddy. He's director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Um, Interesting weather here in August. Uh, In many places drier than usual, but in much of the Midwest cooler than usual as well.
0: Yeah, you know, a really interesting set of, of situations going on right now. Some good for, for, for some of the crop situation, you know, some of the eastern corn belt improving some drying situations, and then some problem areas uh, focused on Iowa. Uh, with some really dry conditions uh, that are that are you know being exacerbated by some other issues. So um, I mean, and, and the cool has been good because it helps reduce some of the stress in some of the drier areas, but it also does slow down your crop progress a little bit. But I don't think at the end of the day, at the end of the season, that's going to be too much of an issue because generally we're in pretty good shape across all the corn belt.
1: There is heat in certain areas. It's just stayed for the most part out of the Midwest. I mean, definitely it has been very hot in, in the southwest,
0: which people have heard about with some of the fire issues, um, investigating an all-time record uh, temperature in, in Death Valley, which uh, just under 130 and around it up to 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, unfortunately, some of that is going to move into the more of the plains and, and, and the Midwest as we get into next week. If you look at some of the forecast temperatures, uh, this weekend, we start getting into the upper 80s and some lower 90s, depending on where you are, uh, and then as we go on into you know, into like the middle of next week, uh, we may see some hundreds out in the plains and uh, low to mid-90s uh, across a good chunk of the plains and, and the Midwest. Um, that is going to be problematic for some of the driest areas because we do have some areas, again, especially focused on Iowa and some of the places out in the, in the high plains that are, that, are, that are quite dry, that heat is going to cause a real problem. I fear we're probably going to be seeing some, some crops shut down, even crops that are in fairly decent shape otherwise, going to start shutting down because of the, of the additional heat. Um, in the eastern Corn belts, where conditions are a little bit better, uh, somewhat moister, uh, the heat will, will you know, cause a little bit of stress, but probably something more that the crop can manage. Overall, and again, we'll keep pushing things. Uh, the heat will keep pushing things along towards uh, towards maturity.
1: Are we setting up for a warmer than normal September? Um, our, you know,
0: the the outlooks just came out from NOAA's Climate Prediction Center right now, and uh, from a from a temperature standpoint, uh, most of the Midwest uh, they're in this uh, category called EC or equal chances, and what that means is. The, the indications, uh, you know, there's, there's conflicting indications that we can't tell too much. That, that have a better chance of being below or above average temperatures. So, uh, we, you know, we really can't say too much. There is an area from around around the Great Lakes, across the northern Midwest, into the Plains that has a slightly increased chance of warmer than average. Right now, we don't see too much uh, indications one way or the other. Probably the more problematic one is associated with that is precipitation. Um, the, there's a slightly increased chance for uh, below average precipitation from Iowa out into the Central Plains, uh, and that is focused right on that area that has been seen the developing dryness. Uh, on the U.S. Drought Monitor, we have you know, very serious drought conditions in western Iowa, but they're expanding to cover into southeast South Dakota, eastern Nebraska, even uh, eastern Iowa up into north to uh, southwestern uh, Wisconsin. We're seeing increased drought conditions, so that that drier area over that is is a bit problematic right now. Um, you know, we're getting near the end of the season, so it's not as too much of an issue. Certainly, we want crops to be able to complete their, their cycle. But when you've got dry soils, you need to think about refilling soil moisture profile. If people are going to be doing cover crops, uh, we want to have some moisture back in the soils. to get cover crops on and get them established, too. So uh, that dry area definitely is a concern for us.
1: A lot of years, uh, especially, I think even the last year, uh, we were concerned about Uh, early frost dates because we needed every bit of time we could get for the crop to finish out. Not as big a concern this year. Really, really it's
0: not. Uh, I mean, if somebody had to do a replant, there may be some concern there. Um, You know, just check the crop conditions this week, and and corn is a little bit behind in parts of the eastern Corn Belt, Indiana, uh, Illinois, Ohio. Um, but not too far behind, uh, you know, Western Corn Belt, things are, are moving along, chugging along quite, quite well. Uh, soybeans are, are also ahead of average. So the frost date is, is not much of an issue. Um, I, I would expect, though, this fall that we will have a, you know extended harvest period. Uh, with some things shutting down early and then trying to get, get going along here. Uh, the problem area particularly are going to be in Iowa where uh, we've had the derecho move through. And we have a lot of crop damage in that region that um, is going to, you know, if they end up having to, to harvest that, it's going to be slow going in that region because of the, the damage done to, to crops across the, the middle section of Iowa. So um, the, the additional time there is probably going to be beneficial for them as we go along. But, yeah, your your initial comment is uh, freeze date doesn't seem to be much of a concern for anybody, and we don't see anything that would indicate too much of an earlier uh, tr- earlier freeze this year, and our overall trend is towards later first freeze dates anyway.
1: So no relief in those uh, dry areas of uh, iowa as far as uh, any rainfall in the near future
0: well we do have um you know the, the 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 extended range like the week two outlook does have some increased chances for precipitation over a good chunk of the corn belt uh, better chances over the eastern and southeastern part of the corn belt Largely because, if you've been watching the the tropics, uh, you know we don't watch always watch the tropics here. But there's potential for a couple hurricanes Mm -hmm. coming in a very rare situation. A couple hurricanes coming into the Gulf of Mexico at about the same time. Um, Hard to get an assessment of what those are going to do, but they will bring moisture along with them. And if you get a hurricane that does come through the Gulf of Mexico, there's a decent chance of bringing moisture up into. You know, at least right. the Ohio Valley, eastern Corn Belt, central part of, of, of the Corn Belt. So we do have some chances for, for some precipitation there. Uh, will it fix the situation? No, of course, I do not expect it to see fix
1: the situation right now. Could help the beans, though, or they could use another drink for sure as we had the One harvest. One last
0: shot for them, definitely, in.
1: That's right. Dennis, as always, thanks for the update. We appreciate it. Happy to do it. You guys take care. Dennis Toddy. Director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, economist Steve Meyer with Kearns and Associates. Stay with us here on AOA.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, during COVID-19, we've been keeping up to date on the pork packing plant situation with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Steve joins us again now for another update. Steve, are we uh, still, what, around 95 96% capacity?
2: That's about where we are, Mike. Uh, last week was 4.2% idle capacity, and that's the best number we've seen so far. Um, the big drivers of that are two plants in the Carolinas, uh, Smithfield's Tar Heel plant and Uh, their Gwaltney Virginia plant just across the border in Virginia, Uh, those two are having lots of problems with just labor force, and it really isn't necessarily coronavirus-related. It's just labor force. And um, if we could ever get them back kind of up to close to capacity, we'd be pushing 97 or 8. So uh, we might get a little better than what I've uh, hypothesized all along, but we haven't proven that yet. So I'm still sticking with my 5% idle capacity or reduction in total capacity as we go through the fall.
1: How much of the backlog have we cut into now?
2: Not much. I mean, uh, matter of fact, it's grown. Uh, I don't know if it's grown since June 1st, Mike, because I kind of started recounting. If you all go go all the way back to March, you don't know how far we you you were off by the end of end of May. We got a new, new June Hogs and Pigs report, which gave us a June 1 inventory. And so we can start from that point going forward and say, if hogs were growing normal, normally, how many would we slaughter? And the answer to that question is we would have slaughtered 1.3 million more than we had slaughtered. So um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, oh, well, yeah, but we're current. Well, there are some producers that are current. There's no question about that. But um, if we're current, then you've got to explain to me where all those pigs went to. Uh, we don't know that, uh, and, and we're not going to eat into that very much more. About all we're going to do is kind of bide our time here through to the end of September, and then, then the backlog is going to actually grow some. Now, we have gotten some anecdotal evidence this last week that there are some, some people who have destroyed young pigs, um, and decent numbers of them, in the last six or eight weeks, which we have thought, and Mike, I think we talked about this a couple of times, that I, I said, you know, we got all the finishing buildings full. We had a whole bunch of them double and triple stocked, and at some point you've got to reduce that crowding. I thought we were going to run out of space and probably start slaughtering some some wing pigs again because there just wasn't a place to go with them, and they represented the least sunk cost and the, and the, the easiest to dispose of. You wouldn't want to be slaughtering market hogs on either one of those categories, on either one of those counts. And we've heard of that happening in the last six or eight weeks. Now, that will reduce some of our pressure when we get to November and December, but not until then. So, you know, just straight off the June hogs and pigs report, we could get a backlog of almost 3 million head by the end of December. Uh, these, these pigs being destroyed will reduce that sum. We won't know that, really, until we kind of get there. We'll have another read on this when we get the September hogs and pigs report in about five weeks.
1: Wow, 3 million. That would be a staggering number.
2: Well, it is. It'd be a huge number. Now, the good thing is, with reductions in the sow herd, reductions in farrowings, uh, you know, a number of things will give us some some extra slack on the packing side once we get into January, February, and March. And we, my calculations are, we can get caught up by the end of March or early April. But um, that's how right now. That's what the numbers look like, and so. Unless something drastic happens to change those, uh, I, I think we have to hang our hat on the data that we have, not on anecdotal evidence, because that all depends on who you talk to. And we know producers that are back, backlogged. Uh, we know some that are current. So, you know, if you're talking to one group or the other, then you've got probably uh, not exactly the right data.
1: So the potential is we could have a 3 million head backlog by the end of the year.
2: That's the potential. Now, I will say that you know we've heard anywhere from 200 to 500,000 pigs over the last six or eight weeks. That would, if those pigs were destroyed, that would take that that would take that number off by the end of the year. I mean, we'd have some 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 uh, relief there. And I think that's an ongoing process. I think that's happening all the time now, to some degree, because I just don't think we have space for them out there now. Now, you know, there are some websites that list barns, need, needed barns and barns uh, available, and those have kind of swung to the barns available side in the last several weeks. So maybe there is some space for these pigs, but within individual operations, there may not be enough, and so that would give us a little relief. But as the numbers stand right now, that's where we would be somewhere at 3 million. Now, if we could push up to 98%, then we'll, we'll make that number smaller. Um, if we're destroying some pigs, we're going to make that number smaller. So I, I think that is kind of a maximum that we can look at right now, but it's a pretty shocking maximum.
1: Yeah, it really is. We're talking with Kearns and Associates economist Steve Meyer. All right, Steve, uh, are we seeing any improvement in demand or how much uh, what do the numbers look like as far as the pork we're moving?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, Mike, you're going to move it all. Uh, you know, we eat what we produce. Eventually, uh, yeah. The question is, at what price do we do it? At uh, what price do we do it? Uh, we mm-hmm. had a little bit of cold storage, and, of course, cold storage was pretty low at the end of June. We'll get a cold storage report, I think, today um, that will tell us where we were at the end of July. And so that will be a, a new piece of data that will help us as well. Um, everything that we can tell on demand is that you know, the export side is waning a bit. It's, it's still good. It's not great like it was, and that's all because of China. I mean, the whole relationship situation with China has caused them to back off on purchases from us. Every economic factor in that equation says that we should be shipping boatloads, way more boatloads of, China, of pork to China because there's such a big price differential. And so if the market was being allowed to function we would see a much larger flow of product into China to drive down their prices and pull up prices around the world. And it's not being allowed to function. That's clearly what's going on. and um, you know, So that puts it back in the hands of politicians and, you know, um, while people might not like economics, at least economics is more predictable than politicians, I think, so uh, that's a problem. Um, Mm-hmm. On the on the on the domestic side, uh, our real per capita expenditures through July well, was actually well through August, so through June. Pardon me, it was actually pretty good. I mean, year to date, it's just down fractionally after three wild months in April, May, and June on the data. Um, so that tells us that we're kind of making up on the retail side and on carry-out food service what we've lost to some degree. My concern is that the breakfast day part does not lend itself well to carry out, take out, and those kinds of things, nearly like lunch and dinner does. And so I still think we're taking some hit there, and I think it kind of shows up on the south side. Sows water has hardly got above 70,000. We've bumped it a few times. We could kill 74,000, and the price of sows has been almost exactly the same for 14 weeks. That tells me that sow slaughters are only buying what they want to buy we've heard of producers that are feeding sows that can't get them in and that tells me that breakfast demand sausage demand and that kind of thing is you know is is iffy um and so all those kind of fit together to say that food service is still soft uh, i hope it doesn't get softer as we open schools and maybe coronavirus blows up but we're just going to have to see what happens on that that could actually take a step backwards the retail side, I think, is going pretty well. I think people are learning to cook at home, and we're moving a lot of product there. But um, So two of our three demand things, exports are still good, no waning. Retail is good, and I think it's going to stay that way. And food service has probably recovered some, but I have some questions about whether it will, that recovery will remain as we go through the fall. So, um <laughs> No, it's one of those economist things. On the other hand, and uh, uh, we got to just uh, we just gonna have to accept the the facts as they are as best we know.
1: And what's your uh, outlook for hog prices?
2: Well, we think hog prices are gonna certainly be under pressure here in September, and then maybe recover a bit with the cutout value as we go through the fall. Because of the packing limitation, we're not going to put nearly as much product on the market as we normally do in the fourth quarter. And normally demand for pork is very strong in the fourth quarter. And so if that holds, um, we should have stronger wholesale prices as we go through Q4, uh, a cutout value well up into the 70s on, on a regular basis. You know, we bumped there a little bit. We backed off this week. We think next week's going to be pretty, pretty hard on the cutout. On the hog price side, the price of all hogs, the national net price, will move with that because of the influence of cutout value uh, on some hog pricing mechanisms. But the negotiated market is just going to be stuck. I mean, you know, we might get a $50 negotiated price in the fourth quarter, but I think it's pretty pretty questionable because we're still not going to have enough packing capacity and we've got plenty of spot market figs available.
1: All right, Steve, thanks for the update. Always appreciate the perspective. Thank you.
2: You're welcome, Mike. Have a
1: good weekend. All right. Take care. Dr. Steve Meyer, economist, Kearns & Associates. Up next, we'll talk with Martin Barbary, administrator for the Risk Management Agency, next on AOA.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: And we're happy to have with us the administrator for the Risk Management Agency, Martin Barbary. Martin, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, Mike. Good to be here.
1: Have you had a chance to get back to Southern Illinois, see how crops look back home? I'm actually speaking to you from Southern Illinois. I got oh, back you, here late last night. You are back. Oh, very good. Well, how do things look? Yeah. Things
3: are Here in Southern Illinois, things are pretty darn good, Mike. We've had just uh great weather uh, a little late kind of had a, a maybe a two-thirds of the planting season early and then it kind of stayed wet for a while and then finished up there in may uh but everything's just had continuous rain since uh, obviously in southern illinois we we play with the rivers every once in a while the rivers have kind of flirted with getting out but are
1: back in their banks like they're supposed to be now and all's good all right. Well, let's talk about uh, an announcement that uh, you've made as far as some improvements to federal crop insurance prevented plant coverage. Tell us about this.
3: Well, last year, Mike, you know, we had such a over 19 millions of, of prevented planted acres in the country, which was unprecedented. And and through all of that, a lot of conversations with a lot of producers, a lot of agents across the country uh, about things that, that maybe could have worked a little better, so I, I decided that it's time we looked at, at our coverage as a, as a whole, and so we put together a Prevent Plant Task Force team that, that met. It, we included uh, agents, agents uh, companies, RMA folks. We had some producer groups, Farm Bureau, and some of the commodity groups were involved, and so you know we had a wide range of stakeholders that met. Uh, my chief of staff, Keith Gray, chaired the thing, and and they just looked at all the different aspects of how prevent plant work and, and came up with what I think are some pretty good recommendations
1: to for some changes that we're beginning to work on implementing. Let's look, take a look at them. Uh, kind of take us through sure. what you're proposing here. Okay. We've got,
3: um, you know, three. We actually have about five decisions that we're making, two that we, we would like to make. And, and when we can, we will we will do that with funding as funding allows. Um sometimes we like to do things that that we don't have the funding to do so but uh one of the things is is uh we're reducing eligible we reducing eligible pp acres by the insured and uninsured planted acres there was a the way we unders producers were being um and this one's kind of hard to explain mike but it allows acres of an uninsured second crop that's planted on the same acres within the same crop year following a failed first crop it allows them to not be subtracted by the eligible pp acres which means if you had eligible pp corn acres you wouldn't get those pp acres subtracted by doing that that's it's kind of a a complicated thing and and but it will help producers get better PP coverage, and if they have eligible, say they would have eligible corn acres, those those acres in those situations wouldn't be referred rolled over into to soybean acres, which would in most cases would have a lesser planting. It's kind of a rare situation, but but when it pops up, it, it can have a big effect on a producer's PP claim. So, one of the that's one of the things. Uh, second thing is is prevented planting acreage that was within a field containing planted acreage. Um, And the best example of this is a producer had had an 80-acre field. He's planned on planting it in corn. Everything's ready to go. It keeps raining. He decides, I'm going to file for PP on that corn, on those acres. So he has the eligibility for that 80 acres of PP-prevent-plant corn. If that producer, before this change, pulled into the field, say, two weeks later and said, well, maybe I could plant the field of beans. If he pulled into that field and planted across the end of that field or anywhere in that field, all of a sudden, that field becomes a PP bean acres if he can't get that field planted. So it, it, it was reducing people's PP claims where they really shouldn't be. So now, and and it also takes away the the detriment of a producer not wanting to try to plant that field because now he knows it won't affect his PP coverage. So that was the really the biggest thing. Is producers just wouldn't do that because they knew if they couldn't plant the whole field, then they were they it went back to their PP beans instead of corn. So that was the second change that we were implementing. That a lot, most of this will be implemented for the spring 2021 crops with our 1130 contract change date. Uh, third thing they did is establish an eligible preventive plant acres in a new county. Uh, our provisions in the past is it was allowed if 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 you were a new farmer in a new county, you could uh, prove intent of planting say 500 corn acres, and you could provide an intended acreage report at acres at sign up time. And then if you didn't get that planted, you could file you know prevent plant claim on that. The next year, you would only have prevent plant eligibility for that crop. You wouldn't have prevent plant eligibility for another crop. What we've done is, is we've changed that now to where you can use that intended acres report for two years instead of one. So for producers that are in a, in a corn soy rotation, they would be able to, to use do that for two years. So just again, a little more flexibility in how producers can use their their insurance. Um, one of the things we're doing that that's been a kind of a uh, it's a change that that sort of I think you know one of the things we charged the, the the task force with was program integrity as well as we know there are there have been problems with PP in the past. One of the things we're going to do that that will tighten up that integrity is. In the prairie pothole region, for the past several years, there's been a requirement that you plant a crop in one out of four years to maintain PP eligibility for that crop. Uh, we're going to expand that to implement it nationwide. So anywhere in the country, you will be required to, to plant a crop one out of every four years to maintain PP eligibility for that crop.
1: Okay, uh, We're talking with Martin Barbery. He's the, he's the administrator for the Risk Management Agency. Uh, Martin, uh, obviously last year was a huge year for prevent plant acres not so much this year but obviously every year somewhere uh they're going to be prevent plant acres and and these changes uh hopefully will help those in when they're in those situations
3: oh i think so absolutely mike you know it's, we we know that i like i, said, I charged the, the group with you know found out how we can improve coverage and at the same time you know, protect the, the. You know, we're beholden to the taxpayer of this country that funds our program, so we want to make sure the integrity of the program is protected as well. So, but I think overall, there's going to be some really good changes here that'll help producers.
1: How have have you as an, as an agency been able to uh, continue service to producers through COVID-19? How's that impacted how you do business? You know, Mike. The only, frankly,
3: it's, it's it's kind of surprising. We we've seen certain. Aspects of what we do, our written agreement process, where producers apply to the regional office for written agreements, that process is actually moving along. I would say 25% faster than normal. I, people, I don't know why our, our folks are—they're just getting the work done faster. I, I, and uh, but most of all, everything's been fine. The, the issues we've had have been, um, say, an organic producer. He has—he has requirements for, for getting a certain, You know, he has to have a certification from an organic. Certifier that you can do that. We've had to do some flexibility there to allow them to use previous year certifications. Same with some of our nursery crops. Uh, more about the the biggest issue we've had has been more about producers and agents and adjusters interactions. That's that's been the only thing that's been kind of a challenge. We've allowed you know producers to just send a text message to say, hey, I. I approve this coverage level, those types of things, and then they can follow up with a signature later where normally we would require signatures. But, but overall, Mike, this agency has performed just flawlessly.
1: These are, as you said, in large part, response to what happened last year when you had the huge number of prevent plant acres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... You hope you don't have another year like that, but uh, there were some lessons learned, and you've, you've realized uh, some areas that could uh, that could that needed to be addressed. I'm sure you've heard from producers dealing with these situations.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's where a lot of you know we we heard from producers, we heard from agents say, "Hey, I had a producer got caught in this situation." And that some of these changes that I talked about don't affect a lot of people, but when they do, they it can be a big hit to a producer. You know, that's they're just things that happen like that. We still got Great. some other things we're working on. Uh,
1: hopefully, we'll have some, maybe a few more changes by next year. So, these changes that you just told us about will go into effect for next year? For the for 21 spring crops, that's correct. Yep. All right. So, it doesn't have to have any more approval process or go through anything else that they will go into effect? We
3: have some of these require what we call a regulatory change, which we have to run that process through the, the regulatory system at, in the government. You know, has to go through OMB and and write the rule and all that stuff. But it's just a process that we have to go through.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll keep a uh, watch and see what else, uh, what other changes and improvements you may make. As, as you said, as uh, we get closer to those announcements, we'll stay in touch. What are you hearing from producers this year, uh, Martin, uh, as you talk with them from around the country? You know,
3: ag producers are all... You know, eternally optimist. We all know that. And, uh, you know, we hear, you know, concerns from places, but people seem to, you know, still have an upbeat attitude. I know this last week's storms put a dent in in some big areas across Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana. But I think producers, you know, what we hear from them is, is let's get out and let's figure out what we can do with this crop and and move on. So, you know, we're still hearing a lot of optimism.
1: All right. Good to talk with you, and glad to have you back in Illinois. Enjoy the time back home before you head back to D.C. Good to talk with you, Martin.
3: All right. All right, Mike. Appreciate it. Anytime.
1: You bet. Take care. Risk Management Agency Administrator Martin Barbary from Southern Illinois, and back visiting the the home farm this week, and wanted to get a lot pass along those changes those hopefully will be improvements that will help if you're in a situation of uh, needing uh, to take prevent plant coverage anytime in the future up next another crop update this one from a little farther north in martin uh, up near the quad cities in illinois we're going to talk with david erickson how do crops look in his area how close did the come to him and how close are they to harvest? We'll talk about all that next, right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
1: Now, back to Mike Adams last segment we were talking with risk management agency administrator martin Barbary about improvements they are putting in place for prevent plant coverage for next year should be pointed out that while obviously not as great a number of prevent plant acres this year as last fortunately but uh, we really still don't have a complete handle on it fsa gave uh, an extension more time to uh, report prevent plant acres and um could even be some delays with COVID-19 and things like that. So kind of wait till we see the September numbers to get really get a handle on this year's number of prevent plant acres. But uh, some changes for next year moving forward, as we heard from Martin Barbary. All right, let's uh, get a crop update now from David Erickson. He farms in Illinois up near the Quad Cities. David, thanks for joining us. You were, what, a little south of uh, De Roche when it moved through, right?
4: Yeah, thank goodness, Mike. Um, it uh, certainly did a lot of damage in Iowa. We did have some wind from that event, but nothing uh, that created any more uh, crop damage than what was maybe uh, earlier in July. So, um, yeah, feel feel really bad for those folks that experience that, and hopefully things uh, get better for them.
1: How do crops look on your farm? We're We're in a little bit of a dry
4: slot now, Mike, where um, we could use some rain. We're not, uh, as you watch the drought monitor, we're kind of on the edge of it, um, southeast of the Quad Cities. Um, Things in most uh, cases are in pretty good shape, but you're seeing some lighter ground begin to maybe mature a little bit quicker than you might otherwise see. And, um, you know, it sure would be good to catch some nice showers here to kind of help fill those bean pods and, and finish uh, some test weight on corn.
1: What do you think you're looking at potentially? Have you gone out and been able to get a kind of a handle on what you think you might have out there?
4: Well, it appears that um, we should be we should be at trend line um, yields on corn. What I think is going to be difficult on corn, I guess I'm, hedging my bet here is remember uh, me telling you about quite a bit of replanted corn and soybeans Mm -hmm. um, that was planted in early May, first, second, third of May. I think those, um, those acres probably took a hit when it came to pollination, or so it appears. And also, even the April planting, we had much slower emergence than what we would like under ideal conditions. So I think it remains to be seen how consistent the stands are out there in corn as far as that goes the soybeans look tremendous i mean we got pretty good stands yeah there's some weak spots but pretty good stands and i think what's going to happen is uh it's going to be dictated by how well these pods fill out here uh with late august early september rain so i see us being at um you know trend line yields which would mean you know kind of escalating our way up but i don't know um that will be any better than, than, uh, you know, what, what they're predicted in the government reports.
1: Any disease or insect uh, pressures or problems you've dealt with this year?
4: Pretty, pretty basic sorts of things. I mean, I think there's a fair amount of fungicide and insecticide that went on soybean acres in our area, um, as a preventative option. Um, not that disease is that prevalent, although we are seeing some sudden death begin to appear in soybeans, uh, uh, which indicated that they were stressed early. I don't see as much foliar leaf diseases in corn, maybe, as what uh, we might normally see. And I, I don't I don't know if that's due to the drier conditions right now uh, or, or other factors. So uh, in most cases, pretty good shape as far as the disease front goes.
1: When do you think you'll start harvest?
4: I think we're pretty much in line for, a, I would say, a normal start. So for us, Mike, that's uh, in that range of the starting somewhere about the 20th of September. Um, so I think we're in line for that. I don't see anything, um, you know, certainly if it gets as warm and dry as what they're talking about uh, next week there, uh, we're missing these rains that may hurry that along a little bit, but I still think... Uh, you know, September 20 would be uh, about the time people will think about starting, give or take.
1: And you've got all the bins cleaned out, all the old crops sold, and uh, so you got, you're ready to go, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: my son says, so what are you working on? I says, well, maintenance time, right, Dad? And I go, that's right, maintenance time. So we're working on fixing the things on bins that we found, uh, as we went through, uh, doing a little repair work about the bin site. And then of course, uh, getting, getting machinery ready. But we, we do have the old crop, uh, out of the bins there, thank goodness. And, uh, and there's still a fair amount of old crop moving both corn and soybeans in our area. So that's uh, some of that work yet to be done for sure.
1: I was going to ask you, are you seeing some of that old crop starting to move now?
4: Yeah, I think so, Mike. I mean, I, th- think for the most part it's it's ahead of last year uh last year it seemed like there's tremendous amount of crop that moved you know um, in early september even right ahead of harvest there was essentially no break between the uh, getting the old crop out and the new crop in but it appears to be um ahead of schedule in that regard but there's still certainly a lot of a lot of trucks hauling corn to the local ethanol plant and, and soybeans move into the Mississippi River. We're in an area that normally has a lot of soybeans go on the Illinois River, but with the uh, closures there to lock improvements, it's making uh, a lot of soybeans in our area go to the Mississippi River. And, and thus far, that's okay, except I did hear a report today that uh, river levels are low at some loading facilities and are actually having to do a little bit of dredge work to be able to get mm-hmm. um, loaded barges out.
1: All right, David. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate the report. And uh, next time we'll talk. We'll we'll start getting some early harvest results for from you. That sounds
4: great, Mike. Thanks for the call.
1: Maybe we'll maybe we'll catch you on the combine next time. Thanks a lot, Illinois farmer David Erickson. He farms near the uh, Quad Cities. With that, we'll wrap it up for the day and for the week. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you have a great weekend. Coming up on Monday, more on that forecast. How do we finish out this uh, growing season? We'll also get the latest ag news, and we'll take a look at beef trade and uh, how the exports are going. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us Monday. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.